It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. I'm super excited to have Greg Kelly joining me in studio this morning. In 1998, a divine calling redirected Greg from a thriving insurance career to full-time ministry. As CEO of Unknown Nations, he's dedicated to sharing Jesus' message with unreached people groups. Greg has traveled to more than 50 countries advocating for those yet to hear the saving gospel. He's a Western Michigan University graduate. He was the 1991 football team MVP. His love for Christ, his family, including his wife Kathy and his kids and grandchildren. Grandchildren, Greg. Oh my goodness. Brings him immense joy. He also enjoys golf, snowboarding, college football, family activities are some of his interests. And Greg and Kelly live right in Byron Center. So they're Michigan locals here. Good morning, Greg. Hey, Shauna, how you doing? Doing good. good. To see you. Yeah. It's good to see you too. It's Thank been a minute you. since we've had you in studio. Well, it's been too long, but it's always great to be back with you guys. Yeah. Isn't this an amazing November we're having? We've had, I mean, up until today, Super sunshine right. and Everywhere warm. I go around the world, I tell them, if you want to experience all four seasons distinctly, come with me to West Michigan. It's yeah. amazing. Have yes. you had people take you up on that? Uh, not yet. I can't. <laughs> I need to do it in June or July, I think, instead of like oh, January go. or whatever. Yeah. But since I've seen you last, there have been a lot of exciting things going on in your life. Yes. One of them being world missions. Wow. Being rebranded. I know. Yeah. Right. Tell us about the the journey of that and your new name. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, Shauna. I I tell people uh, I became their first volunteer in March of 1995. So I've seen this organization, which started in December of 94, right, literally from the beginning, and it's been an amazing wow. run. The name uh, World Mission was was so well suited for us because we did so many things. I mean, it's like you know you're doing uh, orphanages in Haiti and you're helping. Um, Young Life and Youth for Christ in Grand Rapids, and you're doing maybe a little water project in Africa, just a variety of things. And uh, as the Lord put on our heart back probably even 20 years ago, this idea of focusing on places where the gospel's never been. We we really refer to like our mission statement, really what Paul's mission statement was, I would say in Romans 15, 20, where he says, it's my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known mm. versus on another man's foundation. And so we've really been drawn to that, taking the gospel. When you're laser focused like that and you have a name like World Mission, uh, not to mention in every community around the country, there's a World Mission, this or that. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this organization out uh, out west called World Vision. Right. And so it's, you know, we were getting confused and things like that. And, you know, we really felt like uh, a journey of saying, would a new name really represent us better mm-hmm. in the trajectory and allow us to steward the vision the Lord's given us. And so that we started about a year ago and God led us to this this name Unknown Nations, which yeah. we just launched a month ago. We've been we're so excited about it. That's awesome. And it's not that there's a new focus. No. It's that this just better represents what the focus has always been. Exactly. And I I, I love the word nations. It's, it's interesting when you go down the path of a new name, you have to consider things like digital real estate and what websites are available. Right. You might have a great name. I'll give you an example of it. And it's, it's a local based, uh, you know, uh, organization is like when people think about clean water and then bringing the gospel with it, 
you think Living Water, right? Which is a phenomenal name, and we have a great organization that that does that. But the problem is, there's like 20 other Living Water. So if you get into that space, yeah. you know, you're going to be kind of bouncing up against other organizations. As and we wanted to have kind of our own real estate, our own space, and so uh, just the unknown nations. Uh, we are it. We are dot com dot org. Got those websites, social media, and we really feel like Shauna. It represents. Uh, this idea of people don't know Jesus when we go there. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm talking to people here and they say, what do you do? And we're talking about the nations and the people groups. And I say, well, we work with the Pashtun, the Munya Yaya, and the Yadav. And they're like, what? What? Like, is that a pizza (laughs) topping? What is that, right? And it's like, well, those are nations that are yet without a gospel witness. And their reaction is, I didn't know. So we really feel like it it plays well on both sides and it's representative of who we are. Greg, what has basically been your life's work is now your first book. Yes. Uh, one of the um, uh, one of the endorsements that I was reading was, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was saying, some people write too early, some people write too late. Greg is right on time. <laughs> I just love that because you've been doing this for a hot minute. This is not, you know, yeah. you're not just stepping into this area, but with all of that experience and all of those years... You finally, you've got a book yeah, and your yeah. timing is just right. Oh, and thank you. The last four words. So congratulations thank you. on the book, first and foremost. But before we, we dive into that, I was reading through the prologue, I believe it is, where you kind of explain your story. You share with us how you how God got your attention and how, I mean, you're working as an insurance agent, yeah. everything's going just fine. Why dive into committing your life to reaching the the unreached people groups? Yeah, it's thanks, Sean. It's not really a real glamorous beginning. Uh, I World Mission, uh, now Unknown Nation, started in 1994, and their first golf outing, I ha- it's isn't it interesting when you say, I just happened to meet this person? Sure. And I, it's fun to look back on life, Ben, when you say, you see all these dominoes that fell and you're like, I would have had no idea that's the path. And so this guy walks into my office. He goes, hey, I heard about a startup organization that's doing a golf outing too. First one, right? we jump into the deep water. We're rebuilding an orphanage in Sarajevo that was bombed during the Bosnian mm-hmm. War. And we're doing a golf outing in West Michigan for it. And he gave it to me and I'm like, that looks like a really neat organization and a good cause, but I'm too busy, young families, new business, put it in the trash. Mm. Go back and sit at my cubicle as I'm kind of you know mocking that guy, I can't believe he asked me that, and the Lord starts speaking to me, get up out of your chair and investigate this. Mm. So I had an argument with the Lord and out of obedience, stood up, stood up out of my chair, yelled, okay, in an audible voice, and people thought I was crazy, <laughs> and went to the trash can and pulled out this brochure on world mission. And that's really where it started. So I, I just, I thank the Lord, um, you know, for not giving up and speaking to me because I think all of us, I meet people all the time, Shauna, who have regrets. I missed an opportunity mission. Mm. My message to them is it's never too late. It's never too late. We beat ourselves up for what we perceive as missed opportunities. And the Lord is not done. Mm. That door always remains open. It's just a matter of us stepping in and saying, well, what's my expression of participating in Jesus' last words? Yeah. So you ended up going from digging this thing out of the trash and saying, yes, Lord, I'll be obedient to actually being Yes. There, but to being on site. Yeah. How did that trip impact you? Yeah. So when I went to Bosnia uh, and I saw, um, you know, a place that had this dichotomy of the beauty of the Alps in every direction and you're just overwhelmed by it. And then around every other corner, you see these mass grave sites. 
that had been booby trapped as the Serbs had left. And I, I was just the, the carnage and what humanity is capable of doing. I'm convinced that as the, the enemy is at work, uh, constantly through his, you know, demons and trying to oppress Christians and take them off, off our task. I'm convinced that anywhere in the world where you'll see genocide, the devil himself is there mm. because it's the total opposite of the nature of God, Shauna. Yeah. God's heart is unity, oneness, bringing us together in our diversity. And so if that's the case of God's heart, then the enemy is going to attack. And that's what I saw in Bosnia. And so I think that just really marked me as a young, you know, 20 something year old guy, um, of seeing the depravity of humanity and knowing the only answer to this, it's not the UN, it's not more money, it's not more resources, it's only the gospel that can change people's hearts. And once I, I realized that fully, I said, I, I just got to have my, I'm, I'm going to invest my life mm. in this God's, what I believe is God's agenda. Yeah, we never know what it's going to lead to when we give our yes to God or what hinges on our yes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. The outcomes of saying, of standing up and saying yes and digging that thing out of the trash and saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take the next step. And at that moment, it wasn't, all right, I'm going to commit my life, yeah. right? To, right. to reaching the unreached people groups, but it was, I'm going to do what you're calling me to do. And you're calling me to just investigate this thing. Exactly. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense. I mean, I love the story of Philip. Here he is in the, overseeing the greatest revival documented in the New Testament. And the angel of the Lord tells him, go to the desert road. That makes no sense at yeah. all. He's seeing signs and wonders, people and, and by the hundreds coming to know Jesus, and he goes to the desert road. Philip didn't know that that step of obedience would usher in an even greater revival mm. in Ethiopia right. as he intersected with the Ethiopian eunuch. And I think that's what it's about. It's about us taking small steps of obedience as the Lord's calling us into his plans. It's his plans that are unknown to us mm-hmm. in the moment. And that's the, that's the point of walking by faith. In your book, Greg, in Last Four Words, you talk about how just before a loved one takes their last breath, we lean in to hear their final words. And specifically, there's a quote there from actually D.L. Moody, surrounded by his sons, speaking his last words to them, which was, if God be your partner, make your plans large. Mm. Yeah, yes. Talk about the significance of... Yeah, our final messages and and specifically of Jesus's last words and even on the the word and. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean, it's just, it's been stirring inside of me for years. People who, you know, when they say, you know, how long did it take you to write this book? My answer is 20 years, <laughs> but really it's the yeah. last two that it's been called out of me. And I have been so zeroed in on the priorities of Jesus. I mean, last words do matter. I mean, I can think of grandparents. I had opportunities to be by their bedside when they took their last breath and the things they say, it just stays with you forever. Mm -hmm. And that person, I mean, think of the, if you have the opportunity to say that, you know, is going to be your last words to your children, to your spouse, to your loved ones, you would pick those words very closely because you want them to penetrate the hearts. Don't, no, don't forget. And so for Jesus, he had that moment. And the reason we know it's his last words is because in Acts chapter one, verse nine, it says, and then in their presence, a cloud emerged and Jesus ascended into heaven. So whatever he said before that was the last thing he said. And of mm-hmm. course he said, when you receive the Holy spirit and power, this is Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And to your point, it's the key, the key there, Shauna, is the conjunction. We point it out regularly. It's because it's not a comma and it's not an or. The difference of why that's so important, the word 
and calls us to be simultaneous Christians. Mm. And I think so many of us walk through life sequentially. Yep. We say, well, yeah, you know, that's great, Ben, that you live, you know, in West Michigan and, you know, that's, that's uh, uh, you know, you're Jerusalem and this guy's going on to Africa. So, you know, hey, you don't have a calling to Africa. That's fine. We don't get let off the hook on that. Mm-hmm. God has called all of us to have an and expression of our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. And the problem is, is way too few Christians have an expression of that ends of the earth, which we would consider unreached people groups, places, i.e., where the gospel has never been. And unfortunately, as much progress as we've made, and there's more Christians living in the world today than any time in history, the the trajectory of growth of Christianity almost mimics the trajectory of growth of people without access to the gospel. Mm. It's not non-Christians. It's not a Buddhist, Hindu, or or Muslim, or your next-door neighbor. Um, it's someone who never will encounter a Christ follower, never a missionary will never make an attempt. They'll never see the word of God. They'll never hear a moody, moody audio broadcast. Right. These guys don't have access. That's the problem. And so we need to resource that as followers of Jesus to come in alignment with his last four words. Greg, you use an analogy in your book of fishing, which, by the way, excellent choice. Jesus used that, and it worked quite <laughs> yes. well for him. But tell us why uh, missions work is like fishing. Yeah, it's 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 a powerful uh, word that, that the Lord put on my heart. And, I, and it goes back to this word, and, uh, Shauna, and that God has called us, no matter who you are, no matter uh, what your background is, your, your limitations, all of us are to have an expression of the ends of the earth. But so many times in missions— what we'll do is we will drop an anchor and we'll have a great experience. Maybe it was a short-term mission trip. Maybe we heard of some amazing story of how God moved and people came to know Jesus and it, it, it impacts us, right? And God wants us to celebrate those things. And so then what happens is our correlation of missions gets identified by that experience or that story. And so when we think, hey, it's time to do missions again, we go back to that. And we go back to that and we go back to that. And there's always going to be need instead of using a trolling motor. And the difference in those two attitudes is this. The anchor doesn't take consideration of the spiritual condition of the place that I am fishing or i.e. sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so the, the problem with that is we can go into a place and maybe fish for the first time and catch fish, see people come to know Jesus. That's the correlation. And then we go back there and we go back there because we caught fish before. Well, they may be 70, 80, 90% Christian Hmm. and we continue to fish there. The person with a trolling motor mentality says the fish were there, but I need to move. I need to uproot my resources and reallocate myself and go fishing someplace where nobody's ever fished. Yeah. And so too many times we drop anchor because of things like we build a relationship and we say things like, well, I can't abandon them. I need to be with them forever. Paul didn't have that mindset. Paul was a part of planting right. dozens of churches, and I'm sure he had great relationship. And yet Paul said, it's my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. He's not abandoning anyone. He's basically saying, you were in darkness, now you're in light. Grow in that. I'm going someplace and else. And tell other people about it. Like exactly. now it's a passing of the baton. Okay, talk about the reality of how our what we give to missions is allocated today. Right now, all of our foreign investment in missions, 99% of those resources are going to places 
where there's already an indigenous church planning movement or the gospel has clearly been shared. Less than 1% of all resources goes to the places that have no access to the Mm -hmm. gospel. And you you might say, well, that's got to be, I mean, 2,000 years after Jesus gave the Great Commission, that number's got to be super small, Ben. Actually, it's a third of the world's population. Mm -hmm. So we're talking more than 2 billion people are still in that condition, i.e. the ends of the earth, without access to the gospel. It's places like Afghanistan, like Yemen, like Syria, like Saudi Arabia. It's places that would be very difficult for one of the three of us to get into. Um, And there's massive barriers to the gospel, hard to get into with my high school short-term mission trip. Um, But that doesn't mean that we aren't still to have some kind of an expression to try to get and share the gospel there. Greg, in the last conversation, we started talking about how we allocate funds for missions and the need to be able to make necessary adjustments to to reach people that haven't heard Jesus yet. And we we know this is a priority of ours because we've done this. Yes, We've spotted those spots and we've dove in and we've shared the gospel. But now those spots, the people there are coming to know Jesus. Talk about how we shift what we're doing to reach the unreached. Yeah, well, first of all, let me say, Sean, it's not a competition. The word and is super intentional. And after all, the Bible says pure and undefiled religion is caring for orphans and widows in their distress. So it's not don't do, like like stop sponsoring a child um, that you're sponsoring through compassion in Haiti or something like that. But we have to have the expression. Every single follower of Jesus needs an expression of the ends of the earth. And so as we are resourcing places where there's progress with the gospel and people are responding to the good news of Jesus Christ, we celebrate that and at the same time look forward and say, Lord, where has your word never been? Hmm. Where are lives that have never had the privilege? It's not, again, that they're not Christian. It's that they don't have access to the gospel. No one's going there, which seems shocking to people. Like, how is that possible in the day of satellite and technology? And we are the first generation in history that when you spin a globe and stop it, we could be anywhere in the world physically within 24 hours. Mm. So there's no um, hindrance of us getting there. It's the issue of we got to press through. The low-hanging fruit of missions is sort of done. It's the areas that are going to take different strategies because of the barriers are so extensive. That's why, I mean, it's it's crazy to think, how is it possible someone to be shut off from the gospel? It's because there's massive barriers. What are the barriers? The barriers are spiritual barriers. So you've got, I just got back from a place that if the, the wife comes to know Jesus and she goes home and tells her husband, he's going to give her one chance and say, no, you're not a Christian. You are, in this case, it's an Islamic culture. You're a Muslim. Um, that would be you know, defiling the Quran and the name of Muhammad. So you have one chance to re- recant the idea that you're a Christian and you're a Muslim. And if you don't, he will put a bullet in her head, mm. his own wife. And so that is a massive barrier. We think of persecution being from kind of a macro level. It's the the iman and these mobs of people. The the fiercest form of persecution, Shauna, is the nuclear family. Hmm. It's mom and dad who will do what? They'll shut you off from community and fellowship and put you off on the street, cut you yeah. off from your inheritance and everything you've known. And so that's a massive barrier. There's a political barrier in, in Myanmar today. There's helicopter gunships going around that the, the military junta that's taken over from a military coup, that country, any opposition uh, to their ideology, they, they won't warn you, 
they will shoot you. They'll kill you. That's a massive barrier to the gospel. And then you have geographic barriers, mountains, um, remoteness, language barriers. There's still languages that don't have a Bible translated into their language. So there's a number of barriers, but really it comes down to motivation. We need to tap into the generation where the missionaries were so motivated, they would pack their stuff in a casket and go mm, to Africa. Right. And that, Shauna, that was, that was, I mean, we're talking early 1900s at that. We need to tap into that motivation and be the idea of eternity is at stake. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's what's the cost. What is the cost? Right. We don't, I don't think we do a good job of having the consider the cost conversation before we invite people into following Jesus. There's one other thing that we do is we think to ourselves, if I can't be a part of it intimately, then I'm not going to do it. In other words, mm. if I can't go there and we need to get away from that, that's a real selfish attitude, maybe well-intended, but we have to recognize that other people are going to be the ones. It's not even going to be me. 99% of the work we do at Unknown Nations, Greg Kelly is not a part of directly. Mm-hmm. I'm indirectly a part of it. I'm a part of the equation, but I'm not on the tip of the spear. And there's people positioned in the Yemen and Afghanistan and Syria's of the world that are ready to do it. We just need to come alongside of them through prayer, mm-hmm. through resourcing them with things like our solar-powered audio Bible in their different languages, through water projects, training, and that. So we need to find our place in the sequence right. that's not the tip of the spear. In the last segment, Greg, we were talking about just how so much of our money, of our funding, of our support is going to places where people already know about Jesus. There was a point in time where they didn't, mm-hmm. and we stepped in there, and it was unknown, right? Yes. But now they know, yes. and we continue to send missions money to them again and again and again. So we were talking about how we need to reallocate our resources to be able to reach the un known nations, Mm -hmm. people who've not chosen not to follow Jesus, but have not ever had a a chance to hear about who Jesus is. And you specifically had said, you know, there's some serious obstacles to getting to these folks. And you mentioned one of them being, if a woman, a wife, you know, comes to know Jesus and gives her life to Jesus and tells her husband that she's a Jesus follower now, that he could possibly put a gun to her head and Mm -hmm. kill her. Mm -hmm. If If those are the obstacles that we're facing, how are finances or how is reallocating our funds going to change that? Yeah, I think that that's such a dramatic example. Uh, That is a reality for millions and millions. This is not just sort of some one-off example. This is millions and millions of people face that reality today. So it's, it's a culture issue. The issue is the gospel has not had any effect on that area. And the longer we go without trying to seed it into that area, the more that that is the reality. So obviously prayer is is front and center, but it's helping that woman, having resources on the ground that can help journey with her. I mean, if that's you, Shauna, and you come to know Christ, um, you know, me putting some technology in your hands really doesn't help you navigate life. You need someone like we do here and even West Michigan to journey with us. Yeah. Discipleship making is for the long haul. 
It is doing life together with someone else. And if there's not another believer to come alongside of her and walk with her and help her understand, here's how you can follow Jesus without exposing yourself. Because we know when your husband finds out, he's going to want to kill you. Here's how you can passionately, genuinely, authentically follow Jesus in the midst of that environment and pray for your husband mm. and have the Holy Spirit use you to begin to minister to him. You know, we don't we don't counsel people in these environments when they come to know Jesus to go on a megaphone street corner and say, I've become a follower of Jesus. Right. That literally will cost them their life. So to become a disciple in that hostile environment requires manpower boots on the ground of individuals. That's what we do at Unknown Nations. That's what we invest in is building those networks who can come alongside new Christians. And you were saying off air, you had just mentioned, you know, that there are people boots on the ground who are ready to step into these places. But, you know, one gentleman, you said he needs a motorcycle. You know, I mean, that is a resource that is, that will close the gap. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, all the barriers, um, whether it's geographic, whether it's persecution, whatever it is, a a resource coming alongside of them to help the advance the gospel into another area. I just got back from the Philippines and there's many of the villages that we visited that two years ago, the only way you get into them is on a horse. Mm. And there's no roads, no. So that's a massive challenge to get into these areas. So depending on what the the challenge is, that resource will sort of answer the question about us getting. And at the end of the day, the win is an indigenous church planning movement. And that's what these places, it's not that the places that we previously invested in, it's not that there's no Christians um, or that there's people who still need to follow Jesus. That's the reality. But there's an indigenous network that can do the job now. So we need to, the pioneer work is needed in other places. Yeah, that's a good word. But let's talk a little bit about what the ends of the earth is not. Mm. That's really an important question, Shauna, because I think a lot of times, you know, when we talk about unreached, this and that, that word, I say that word has been hijacked because once you say this is unreached, that's unreached, then it sort of waters down really what the ends of the earth is. And I think a lot of times we get confused by, well, for example, it took me eight hours. I flew over to Amsterdam and then eight hours from Amsterdam down to Nairobi. And then I got on this bush plane and I flew another two hours over the equator and I landed in the middle of the forest in the Mm -hmm. bush. And then I got in a four by four and I rode for three hours and surely I had to be the ends of the earth. And that was my experience until I got there, and then the people were jumping up and down when we played. It was the Pocot people, and we played worship music, and they are jumping up and down, and I'm like, my, they are more excited than Christians I know in West Michigan. But I thought I was in the ends of the earth. So I think we, when we when we need a passport, when, when we need a visa, when it's a remote place, that does not make it the ends of the earth. Hmm. What makes it the ends of the earth is... Has there been access to the gospel? Has anyone gone there? Have they ever heard of Jesus? That's what makes it the ends of the earth. And we know that 90% of the people who don't have access to the gospel, we know where they live. They live in the Eastern Hemisphere in in an area called the 1040 window. It's 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees. And if you draw that box, you're going to pick up Senegal and West Africa and into, you know, Morocco, Libya, into the Middle East, and then Southeast Asia into the Far East. Uh, That is where the people live who don't have access to the gospel, which is what we tell people. That's where we fish. Mm. 
So that's where the ends of the earth is. It's not, there's actually, I did, I did an interesting research here recently, and I looked at all of the countries from a percentage standpoint of Christian, and starting with the, the 0% and then on down, and from 0% to 5% Christian. So these are the countries that have very few Christians from number one to number 45. Not one of them is in North America. Not one of them is in South America. Not one of them is in Sub-Saharan Africa. Not mm-hmm. one. The, the 45 most needy countries, arguably from a mission standpoint, aren't in those, those locations. They're certainly not the ends of the earth. And so we need to go and resource and the ends of the earth and the places where Jesus is not known. Yeah. And so for the person who's, you know, living in West Michigan— called to be in West Michigan, how do we get engaged in reaching the ends of the earth? Well, I think organizations, obviously they go to unknownnations.com and connect with us because that's all we do. But I think it starts with a knowledge standpoint. And in the beginning point we like to start everyone at is doing missions. We need to shatter the notions of doing missions exclusively through the filter of country. We need to look at through the lens of nation. And you might think I just said the same thing, but I said something far different because Mm -hmm. country is a geopolitical boundary that was established way after Jesus gave the Great Commission. It's the United States, it's Canada, it's China. Jesus wasn't talking about the United States, Canada, and China when he said, go make disciples of all nations. He was speaking of ethno-linguistic people groups. That's what the word means in the Greek, ethne, it's people groups. And so we have to look at missions through the lens of nations and not country. And the significance of that is I can go to Kenya, which is the most evangelical country in the world, Mm -hmm. and work among places that are 98% Christian and miss the Somali people group that are 0% Christian. And so I have to consider the spiritual condition of the geographic location I'm at. I may be in the right place, but I'm fishing in the wrong spot Mm -hmm. because this nation is 98% Christian, whereas these guys 10 miles away are 0% Christian. Yeah, so within what I'm hearing you say is within the country, there are people groups who are still unreached. Exactly, exactly. And in that country of Kenya, of 110 nations or people groups, um, there still are unreached peoples. But if we go in there without intentionality, I'm going to end up working in a place more Christian than West Michigan. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. the literal truth. Greg, this book is such a gift. Mm. It really is. I'm so glad that God did this in you. Mm, thank you. And even the timing of it. I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation that one of the endorsements, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, you know, some people write too early and some people write too late. Yeah. And I just, you're right on time. And I just couldn't agree more oh, with that assessment. Thank you, Shauna. So thank you for thank you for writing the book. Thank you for giving two hours of your time this morning to talk with us about what's in the book and to to share with us the need to reach the ends of the earth. And Mm. and we got to let you go and be about your day. But any parting words for us? I mean, inspire us to be about what God has called us to do. Well, thanks to Moody. I mean, you guys, your vision is all about that. Here you do the Jerusalem, but you're also, it's such a beautiful depiction of Acts 1-8. The the books that were given away, by the way, are signed copies. I want people to know that. Whoa, dude, I didn't know you signed these. No, they will be. You're going to watch me. You're going to watch me. All right, we're going to take care of it. I think, you know, it can be intimidating, Shauna. I mean, this idea of ends of the earth, and we hear, about the casket missionaries, the one-way missionaries of the 1900s that went. Uh, Greg Kelly's been doing it for 26 years, or I know this you know, missionary in another uh, organization or whatever, and uh, it can be intimidating to think. 
my my word for people would be it doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, whether you're 10 years old, 90 years old, or anywhere in between, handicapped, um, perfectly capable, lots of money, no money. It doesn't matter. And the ends of the earth applies to you. Mm. And so it's it's simply a question of what is your expression of that? Long before Jesus gave us the action word that we all associate with missions, which is go, he gave us the action word, pray. He said, mm-hmm. pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now, if we don't understand the condition of the harvest field, those are hard directional prayers to make. They're yeah. very generic. And so I think a starting point is understanding what are the nations of the earth? There's four out of the over 17,000 nations that are inside of 195 countries, 4,200 of them are considered 0.00% Christian. Mm. Like the Sheikh of Bangladesh, for example, the largest uh, unreached people group in the world, over 130 million people, one people group, not a country, a nation. If they were a country, Shauna, they would be the 10th largest country in the world. And they're 0.00% Christian. So learn about a nation that is unreached, that is the ends of the earth, and pray to the Mm -hmm. Lord of the harvest to send forth. People want to connect. I mean, we can can absolutely happily connect with them at Unknown Nations, but I think it's finding your expression, whether it's being a part of a Bible translation, supporting a missionary, uh, being sponsoring a water well, or praying. God will value all of them and use all of them yeah. to see the gospel go where it's never been. And I've got to, I mean, from my own personal perspective and story, I can tell you that something changes in your heart when you specifically start to pray for a specific people group. I'm going to get emotional just talking about it, but your heart gets involved. Yeah. And when your heart gets involved, God calls you to be a part of what's happening there. It's it's bigger. Yes. It's bigger than just saying a prayer from your yep. place of comfort in your home. Your yep. heart gets involved. There's just no way around it. Absolutely. And it's it, it can be as intimate as you sharing with your next door neighbor. I think that's the thing. You know, we look so much at what I can do, who I can. We We, we highly value our tangible involvement in it. And there's so many ways we have so much at our disposal from our prayers, from our the widow's might that the God will value. I'll tell you the, the most valuable gift I ever got, I was in a Pakistan brick kiln of meeting with slaves, literal slaves. And when I was leaving, I stood in this greeting line of these people that had nothing and they were treated like animals. And each one of them in their hand had a little offering they gave to me. Sean, it was the hardest money I'd ever taken in my life. Each one of these people with tears in their eyes were giving me a little something, a widow's mite. I counted it all up afterwards, and it was about $6. (laughs) And they said, would you please use this to give somebody else an audio Bible? Wow. Do you know what God is doing with that resource? That, That multiplied itself thousands of times over because of that seed. Everybody has a seed. Everybody. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real-life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.